Welcome to the To Be Honest podcast. Today, I am so happy to be talking to Caitlin Leonardich. Caitlin is a sophomore at Evergreen Valley College in San Jose and would like to one day bring more social and emotional learning to schools. She also has experience with autism, anxiety, ADHD, and depressive psychosis, and is here today to talk about her journey with mental health. So welcome to the podcast, Caitlin. Hello. Hi, how are you doing today? Or I should say, to be honest, how are you doing today? Uh, To be honest, today I'm a little bit anxious because I'm well enough into the school semester where it's starting to get a little bit overwhelming, but I know I got this, so. And we're like, what, halfway through the semester right now? Is that right? Um, About a month in. Okay. So still got a couple months to go. Mm -hmm. What are you studying? My classes this semester are mostly GEs, math classes and stuff. And I'm planning on majoring in sociology and psychology. Awesome. That sounds like a fun field to go into. Um, It makes sense with with your experiences, which I do want to talk about. Um, So... You've talked to me a little bit about your experiences with anxiety, ADHD, and depressive psychosis. Um, So first, I want to talk about depressive psychosis. Was there something in your life that triggered you to experience this? Sort of, yes. It was early high school that I experienced like the biggest kind of mental health struggles that I've faced. Um, And a large part of it was I was in a very codependent relationship with someone else who also had mental health struggles. So a lot of my depressive psychosis was in those periods where I was just very worried about this other person. And we kind of brought each other down in a co-built downward spiral. (laughs) Yeah. What were your first symptoms? Um, Did you recognize that you were feeling different or off than you normally would be? I definitely was feeling very strong depression already way before the psychosis symptoms started And looking back, um, the delusional thinking started way earlier than any of the actual hallucinations. Hallucinations came almost birthed from a lot of the delusional thinking. Uh, I would be, I would believe that something would be coming to come get me like soon. And then eventually I started to believe and think those things so much that I started to actually like see and hear things that kind of coincided with my delusions. Like for example, I had one delusion that there was an entity that was following me and was supposed to protect me or help me because I was trying to create a support system for myself, I think. And then eventually I started to see and hear that entity. Wow. What were you feeling in those moments? Was that kind of scary for you? Like hearing another voice? What was that experience like? It was definitely scary. I remember before I started having those hallucinations, I kept thinking I wanted to meet the entity, but then once I actually started seeing it, I became very scared and I would, you know, hide under the blanket or whatever, wherever I was, try and cover my eyes somehow. Yeah. Did you find ways to kind of like cope with it or manage the the voice? Honestly, not for a while. I kind of just went with it and along with it for a super long time. Um, They didn't, like my psychosis symptoms didn't really start to go away until I started to kind of work on my other not so great coping mechanisms and work those out of my life. How did you go about doing that? Did you seek professional assistance or was that something you just kind of worked on on your own? It was kind of just something I worked on on my own. I 
definitely noticed I was doing a lot of things that were making my mental health actively worse. So I tried to stop doing those things, especially like uh, social isolation mm-hmm. was a big one. Yeah. And during that time, did you feel like you had support from like family and friends? Like, could you talk to anyone about it? Or was it something that you kind of kept to yourself? I would talk to my partner at the time about it a lot. That was kind of also we'd constantly be feeding each other because I would Mm -hmm. tell them every time I had a hallucination or something. Um, But I did start seeing a counselor from my school that would tell a little bit about it. Um, but it more so it was just nice to have a space that also wasn't like distracting and was a calm place to go to in the middle of the day where I wasn't worried about looking weird for reacting to hallucinations in class or anything. Yeah. So eventually did you, what were like your next steps in kind of like finding a place of recovery? How did you did the voice like eventually just kind of like dissipate? Like how did that play out? Once I stopped or started to try and stop doing my maladaptive coping mechanisms and seeing friends more and trying to not have as many like self-deprecating thoughts, I also worked a lot on my delusional thoughts. Once I realized like, okay, a lot of these are not quite rational and start actually practicing on recognizing that those sort of started to go away. And as I started to just in general, get better by not thinking as many dark things all the time and hang out mm-hmm. with friends, the hallucinations kind of went away at the same gradient as well. Wow. That's really impressive that you were able to kind of like, almost like, it's not like retrain yourself in a way to kind mm-hmm. of to think and go about life. Um I'm curious now, how did your anxiety and ADHD play into your experience with depressive psychosis? Definitely all of my delusions were anxiety fueled. Mm -hmm. I was worried I was going to be attacked or I was going to dissociate and attack someone else. Um, And those are all definitely very anxious feelings. Um, Also, in terms of my neurodivergency, a lot of I had a lot of laughing fits that I couldn't control over my body, which are both associated with psychosis, but also with neurodivergency, like feeling or expressing emotions that aren't accurate to what you're feeling, that type of thing. How did you approach your anxiety? Because I know, um, I mean, obviously treating depressive psychosis and anxiety would probably require different things. So how did you go about um, addressing those anxieties? Mostly with a similar tactic to the delusions. I just recognized that some of my thinking patterns weren't very solidified in rationality and logic and mm-hmm. um, making a lot of assumptions on what other people might think about me or also just assumptions on what might happen through my day and freaking out about all the negative things that might happen. And then just sort of realizing like, even if those things do happen, I won't really be able to prepare for them. So pre-worrying about them isn't benefiting me that much. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. You mentioned that you talked to your partner primarily about um, what you were going through. And then at some point, did you, you were pretty young when this all happened. So I'm assuming your parents probably knew about it eventually. Um, Mm -hmm. Did you ever approach them about what you were going through? 
A little bit. I remember asking them if they could help me find a therapist, but we couldn't find anyone that accepted our insurance that had a short wait list. Um, but I never told them a lot about it until a couple of years later about everything that kind of went down. Yeah. I know a lot of people probably struggle with talking to their parents or even loved ones or friends about their mental health. So do you have any advice for how you kind of approached it with your partner and also how you approach it with your parents later on? Do you have any advice for anyone listening who may be struggling and not sure how to reach out to their loved ones? I think honestly, the best advice I have is if you have a specific reason for your hesitance, then start the conversation with that because then that already sets them up to be receptive towards what you're worried about their reaction is going to be, you know? Yeah, that's really good advice. I never thought about approaching things like that. Um, But yeah, I think if you address your concerns head on, I think that's a really good piece of advice to kind of bring that to the forefront of the conversation and then go from there. I also want to talk about your experience with autism. I know um, you've mentioned that you're not officially diagnosed, but I was wondering if you wouldn't mind explaining maybe um, things that you're noticing in yourself that indicate that you were maybe on the autism spectrum. Yeah, um, lots of things. One of the main things is I stim a lot. I've noticed how much of an essential regulation thing it is for me. I shake my hands a lot in like a rotating motion. Um, When I'm crying, it's way easier for me to calm down if I spin or kind of do like a spin thrashing motion. Um, I also experience visual overstimulation if I'm in a place with really tall ceilings or a lot of lights like a mall or a Costco. It's really hard for me to process visual information or just information in general. Um, Like for example, if I'm like hiking on a day, I'm like super tired. Or if I was overstimulated, it gets a lot harder for me to process information other than bottom up, like details first. So I can look at a scene and I'll be able to look at a tree, but my brain isn't able to conceptualize that there's a whole other scene. I can only see like the tree at a time that I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Or like if I have a shut down in a mall for example if I'm trying to focus on just following the person in front of me I can't process the other information including like physically feeling the floor under me so if I'm focusing on walking straight I can't like it physically feels like I'm falling because I can't process that my feet are touching something and then with emotions like I feel emotions very powerfully and if someone like if I'm in a heated discussion or something like colors get brighter, noises get louder, and it just gets harder for me to sing. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've never, I don't know much about autism, so you're kind of the one teaching me right now. Um, So I know that you also mentioned that autism can show up differently in women. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that something that you have noticed in yourself too? Um, Are there others, I don't know, like the broad spectrum of symptoms of Mm -hmm. autism um, or what can indicate um, autism. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious what, I know that there are fewer women that are like diagnosed with autism. So would you mind like speaking on that a little bit? Um, and yeah. Why that is? Yeah. Um, one of the theories is that 
female or AFAB people tend to have more sympathetic and empathetic tendencies. So when you have more sympathetic and empathetic tendencies, you're more able to pick on learning social skills Mm -hmm. from a young age. So a lot of AFAB people with autism learn to mask their autistic traits at a young age because they're able to pick up on what's considered normal and what's not. Oh, interesting. I never even considered that as the reason why, but that makes a ton of sense. Um, And what does it take for someone to be diagnosed with autism? Uh, You have to fit the DSM-5 criteria and it has to impact your life heavily. I know you usually go through a whole psychological evaluation and different psychiatrists kind of have different screening tools that they use. And so you've been through um, a certain process to be officially diagnosed, but do you not fit the criteria or has that process just not been complete yet? With the psychiatrist I went to, to him, I did not fit the criteria because I could understand uh, emotions from facial expressions and mm-hmm. I've been able to have um, romantic relationships and stuff. And one of the main diagnostic criteria is kind of inability to do those things. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of misunderstandings in the professional world about autism and a lot still to be learned. So Yeah, I mean, I think that's why it's considered like a spectrum because there, there is such a broad range of people um, and there isn't one definition for autism. I think you definitely speak to that. And I'm curious, what is something you would want people to know about having autism? How has it impacted your life? Honestly, the main thing I have, at least to share with people about it, is more so just like, I wish we wouldn't judge each other for how we all have our different life experiences. Because when I look back on my life, there are a lot of times of contention with people that I realized were based on the fact that I was autistic and I didn't understand certain social cues and I needed to be communicated with directly. That's another big autism thing. I think that's really interesting because I think a lot of times, like it sounds like with autism and even mental health all the time, it seems like people's behavior is associated with their character rather than what's going on with their mind. And I think that Mm -hmm. it goes both ways with mental health and autism. I think it sounds like behavior wise, it's not a characteristic like flaw or issue. It's more of what's going on in your mind. And it's something that's not within your control. Mm -hmm. Definitely an important distinction. So thank you for sharing that. And does autism impact your mental health as well? Or how do those kind of intertwine? 100%. Um, Most of my depression, I can honestly say, I think it's directly related to just autistic burnout Mm -hmm. and having to mask all the time, which is like the term for pretending to not be autistic. Or um, I also have bouts of going nonverbal where it takes a lot of like energy to speak. And when I force myself to speak, it makes my depression like immediately way worse. Mm -hmm. Um, That type of thing. And then I think a lot of it also has fed a bit into my social anxiety just because growing up I had trouble intrinsically understanding social cues and I had to learn them over time. So I still have leftover anxiety about like making sure I'm actually reading the room correctly. Mm -hmm. And yeah, overstimulation in general definitely directly leads to depression and things like that. That's yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those. Um, 
And is there something that you would want your younger self to know now that you've gone through like this, this experience with both um, autism and your mental health? Is there anything that you would say to your younger self to help you through these, these past couple of years? I wish I could have told her it's okay to slow down and listen to her body and like realize that she was too stressed to continue always functioning as high as she thought she should be mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay to rest and take breaks and say no to things yeah it sounds almost a little exhausting I would say to to have to function at that high of a level all the time so I can't even imagine mm-hmm. um yeah it sounds like you yeah. went through a lot so mm-hmm. you should be proud yeah. of where you are today and where you come from <laughs> Thank you. um Yeah, I also just wanted to touch on, you mentioned to me that you're like a very creative person. So I just wanted to hear more about like how art impacts your life and your mental health and your autism. It's definitely been a big part of my life, uh, starting actually when my mental health issues got the worst. I started taking art classes at my high school and um, I just realized how much I love creating Mm -hmm. and now in the last year or so especially it's become an actual regulatory thing for me because I've learned how to just doodle and get into like the sensory component of how making art actually feels and just scribbling with marker on a paper Mm -hmm. and then also being able to create a nice finished piece that like I might not share what the meaning is to it but that has meaning to me and still being able to share it with people feels like a certain type of deep yet surface connection that's kind of hard to get otherwise yeah that's really cool I love that you're using art as a a way to kind of like process things and and um I'm wondering are there are there certain mediums that I know you mentioned like doodling um do you use any other mediums um of art uh yeah I my main mediums are like acrylic and oil paint and sometimes just doing a scribble painting with acrylic and just feeling the brush and paint move across the canvas is a very good regulatory exercise and watching all the colors mix. yeah that sounds really cathartic <laughs> that's awesome well thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your experience your journey and um, I really learned a lot from our conversation um, is there a place where people can go to learn more about you or um, your artwork or anything like that they'd like to share uh, yeah, I have a Instagram for my artwork. Um, it's Blues Art, and it's spelled B-L-U-S dot art. So blue without the E, art. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, and I hope we can talk again soon. Thank you. All right. Bye, Caitlin. Bye. The To Be Honest podcast is a creative platform that enables youth and young adults to share their personal experience with mental health to help normalize the conversation around this often taboo topic. To Be Honest is a program of Momentum for Health and is supported by District 4 Inventory Funds, Republic Urban Properties, and BetterHelp. To learn more about To Be Honest, visit tobehonest.today or check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The To Be Honest podcast is hosted and edited by Avery Cruz, as well as edited by Peyton Dillahay. Music for the podcast was created by Julia Steele. For more information, check out the episode show notes in the streaming platform of your choice. 
Happy listening.